Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the pilot episode for the B-plus show, where we aim to be just good enough. My name is Jeremy. I teach high school history in the American Southeast. I'm Corey. I'm a recovering high school Spanish teacher. I currently work in the private tutoring and test prep industry in the Midwest. Love it. Uh, and I am John. I teach music to middle schoolers in the American Southeast. It's a wonderful time, and we're glad that you're here. Yes, indeed. Uh, thank you all for joining us. Again, this is our pilot episode, so pilot is pilot. Please excuse any technical difficulties or any other issues we may end up having. Uh, but we are happy you're here, um, and we're happy to be doing this. This is something that we've kind of wanted to do for a while, um, just to sort of introduce you to our relationship to each other, such as it is, and why this thing is here. Um, all three of us were roommates in college. Uh, we lived together, uh, I guess I lived with these two for one year, and they lived together for at least two. Three, um, three out of three. Four. Oh, how did you manage? Um, <laughs> but, uh, and we, we were best friends in college we kind of ended up going our separate ways but we all kind of somehow landed in education some of us by accident some of us on purpose um and what we wanted to do with this podcast is have a way for us to keep in touch with each other obviously uh we want to talk about education it's something we're all passionate about um and hopefully you know, education is not a solo activity. Um, maybe share some of our thoughts, experiences, and uh, ideas with those of you who are either interested in education, who are educators yourselves, or maybe you're a student and want to know what in the heck your teachers are talking about. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of who we are. It's kind of what we're all about. Again, uh, my name's Jeremy, and then my co-hosts are John, the music man, and Corey, the Spanish and uh, everything else man. How many subjects have you taught, Corey? If we include things that I've done private sessions on, we're 35. <laughs> yeah, that's too many, but okay, cool. Um, so, uh, first thing that we wanted to talk about was uh, This Week in Education, and one of the major, uh, shall we call it, sticking points of education these days is, um, of course, the continuing prevalence of the COVID um, pandemic. The continuing and adventures of COVID-19 education. It is an adventure, um, yeah. but not one of those happy ones. It's more like a D&D &D session where the DM is just, he hates you. The DM is throwing everything he's got, got at you and everybody is just rolling natural ones the entire, the entire game. So, yeah. Um, so <laughs> it, it's been fun. And that's kind of the topic of our episode today. But we want to begin by talking about something that's been in the news recently. And that being uh, mandates on vaccines, as well as mandates on masks. Um, for teachers as well as for students. Um, I'll go ahead and toss it to John here. John, what's your experience been in your area with masks and vaccines? 
Well, we're, you know, we're using it. We're, we're mostly relying on mask mandates as like mitigative efforts when things get too rough and, you know, without going into too many details, uh, you know, the sort of hope is let's try to shoot for something as close to a normal school year as possible and institute a mandate when we need to. And, um, you know, we were really fortunate. We, when our numbers got a little too high that we were able to, you know, use a mask mandate to help sort of bring the numbers back down a little bit. And after a while it expired and we've basically been doing fairly well since then. I think that at the beginning of the school year, everybody rushing back into the building, you know, um, you know, I think a lot of us in a lot of places started seeing numbers start to go back up pretty quickly. And, um, you know, we had a mandate for like two weeks. I think a lot of school districts are doing mandates, mandates at like a couple weeks at a time. So, you know, if you're listening and you're a teacher, you know, a lot of us in different areas have different levels of mandates and some communities that are really hard hit are like, you know what, we're just going to mandate every day and we're just going to make it work. And then some of the communities that don't have as much spread, we're seeing, you know, uh, sort of mandates to a lesser extent as needed. And I think, you know, without going too much into specifics, I think that that's one thing that we're going to see a lot more of that could be helpful. You know, this sort of like community by community approach to things, just because every community has got a different situation. And, um, you know, we want, we want, we want to see school districts be able to handle things as they need to be able to handle them based on what's going on in that school. And so, you know, we've had we've had some mandates when we need them and it's so far we, we're, we're in a, we're in a much better place than we were, you know, at the beginning of the school year when everyone was coming back in. So. Mm. Yeah. My experience <clears throat> to a large degree echoes yours. Has the state come down on, on y'all in any way with any sort of um, re- either requests or mandates on, on any, anything related to student safety? I, th- I think that our state is largely decided to keep out of it and allow the sort of localities to handle it. Um, and that's just, you know, especially in the American Southeast where, you know, we both are, um, you have, you know, really, really different environments. And we have, you know, really rural areas that are not hit very hard and much more heavily urbanized areas that have been hit very hard. And um, so, yeah, at the moment, I don't think that we really have any state mandates, although we're definitely, you know, seeing things happen at more of a local level. Mm-hmm. Have your fellow teachers been on board with masking and with vaccination? For the most part. Um, I think a lot of us are on the same page about vaccines. Um, yeah, that's it's an interesting topic for sure. Um and you know, this is just where I've seen it with, with some of my students and stuff like that. Um, just having to sort of talk about, you know, having empathy for one another. And we, we talk about that as a school, like all of the time about like what empathy means. And especially teaching middle school students who are sort of starting to think about other people and starting to exit that self-centered phase of development and start developing their empathetic muscles, so to speak. Yeah. Um, it's been a, it's been a huge conversation and we've been talking about empathy more than ever as a school and as educators. And, you know, 
not everybody can have the vaccine. You know, I know, I know some people personally who are like, I, for whatever reason, I cannot have it right now. And mm -hmm. I, my strategy with my students has just been to tell them, you know what, I need you, you know, right now. No, I'm not required. I'm not, you know, I, on the days when I'm not required to make you wear a mask, I would hope that you would have the empathy for those around you to wear it anyways, uh, you know, regardless of what the mandate is, you know, um, just be aware that, because we're seeing more and more kids go and get the vaccine. The vaccine is being open to more and more youth. And so, you know, the kids that are getting the vaccines, it's like, yeah, we still want to have enough, enough empathy for our, for our classmates and for our peers and for our colleagues to, to mask up when we need to. So this is starting to turn into an interview, but I do have one last question for you. <laughs> um, sorry. No, it's all, it's all, uh, it's all good. Uh, how's your community dealt with this? Um, just to sort of foreshadow my answer to this question, our community has been essentially on fire uh, from mask mandates um, and debates over them. And I'm wondering if you've had a slightly different experience than I have. Well, I will say this. I'm, I'm in the position where I don't live in the community in which I teach. So mm. what I'm seeing when I go out into the community to like get a meal, get a coffee, whatever, is a lot of dining rooms open, you know, um, and you know, there's been some debates about masks. The, uh, the, the businesses in the area are not quite shut down as much as some other places for sure. Um, you know, resting, rest, restaurants with dining rooms open for business and not really pushing the mask too much. Uh, there's been, you know, there's been a healthy amount of debate about it. And the area where I live is, is pretty different. The area where I live has been a lot more gung-ho about like mask wearing and shutting shutting down businesses and shutting down inside and shutting down dining rooms and stuff like that. So um, it's been interesting. Like I have, a, I have like a 45 minute commute. So like I'm, I'm traveling from one locality to another and they've been very different in their approaches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to sort of segue off of that, I live 10 minutes from school, um, which is, <laughs> delightful that sounds um, wonderful it it's great and you know in my new place uh i am farther away than i used to be um Corey's crashed on my old couch a couple of times it was within walking distance of the school and it was great um but um i live in a, a different state from john of course and we actually we didn't have a mandate we had a reverse mandate um and I, I guess from this, you can probably figure out one of the states I li live in. But uh, our governor issued an executive order saying that individual uh, school boards could not mandate masks. Um, and that has caused no end of controversy um, because, as John pointed out, in the southeast, we have a strong tradition of, you know, not not big government strong tradition of allowing local decisions to be made on a local level. And this was uh, uh, not that, not that at all. Um, and all this summer, we had 
Uh, every school board meeting, it seemed like the topics of masking and whether or not it should be mandatory, whether or not students could opt out, um, has been on the docket yep. uh, to the point where um, at a board meeting in, oh, I want to say it was August, maybe it was early September, though, um, the, the, two, the two groups, the two stakeholder groups, the pro-mask in school anti-mask in school requirement uh, people, uh, they almost came to blows over this issue. Uh, each side made t-shirts and oh flooded gosh. into the board meeting. Yeah, it was great. Uh, the sheriffs had to be there. It was, it was, it was bad, man. Um, and what we eventually did is our county said, uh, we are going to require a mask mandate but you can opt out of it. And that's been pretty interesting. Uh, Somewhere around 25% of our students have opted out uh, according to sort of the official records we've got. And for the record, I understand why our school board did this. The governor has of my state and sort of the, the leadership, excuse me, of my state has not really taken the lead on dealing with this. And they've put every school board in my state in a really awkward position where they have to figure out what to do with their hands tied behind their back with no guidance from the, the, the state government. And even the federal government has kind of been silent on this. Um, and so my district essentially decided to do the best thing they could do in the situation, which is require mask mandates for their kids while allowing opting out to make sure that they weren't violating the law, essentially. And I will say, our numbers are down drastically. Um, My county is one of the ones that has been hardest hit by COVID. Uh, It is a rural county in which, um, how do I want to put this? Uh, There is a great deal of skepticism towards uh, the scientific community and towards the efficacy of several of the recommendations coming from the CDC and other institutions. And I think that in spite of all of that, things are beginning to look up. Um, I track our COVID numbers pretty religiously, and um, they're going down, and that's awesome. Um, ours, ours have improved very much as well in recent times. So that's, you know, that's looking up for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, this is kind of the way viruses work, right? They go through a community uh, sometimes several times, but every time there's a smaller and smaller population of potential infectees. Um, so you could argue that this is just a natural process, but it's a natural process that kills people. So Um, We've had a few, I have been very lucky, no student in my district has died of of COVID, Um, but we had a neighbor, we have had two neighboring counties where teachers have died of COVID. Um, And it's, it's weird. Um, I'll, I'll be frank, I would like a federal mandate, I would like a state mandate. Uh, not only for teach or for students, but also for teachers, um, because to me, 
if one kid in my district were to die of COVID, that's probably a preventable death. And uh, that's not okay with me. So, but nobody listens to my opinion. So, you know, (laughs) and with that, I will bunt the conversation to Corey, who, uh, not working for a public school district, I imagine your experience is a little bit different, but uh, why don't you tell us about what's been going on where you are? Yeah, so um, working where I work, you get to kind of experience the perspective of students from a large variety of schools, whether those are large 3,000 people public schools, whether those are weird boarding schools with 250 kids. Um, they all obviously have had different reactions, um, but because they all come from a rather affluent region of the country um, in very white suburbs, um, the initial response was uh, immediate and decisive from families, from communities, from schools. Uh, we're going to stop this. We're going to do what we can. And the, the big difference that I've been seeing there is that these are schools that had the resources to do so. Um, so the big thing for me that I noticed when I started re- teaching this area was that every kid had a school provided iPad. And just that concept was so novel to me because where I had been teaching before, we had four or five Chromebook carts that serviced the entire school of 2000 people and the library computer lab and a computer lab on each floor. And that was it. And these were Chromebooks that in 2016 were five or six years old. Um, so to come to this school where the school had provided iPads for each kid was a radical experience pre-COVID, um, but then coming into COVID made that transition so much easier and feasible for these school districts um, because they kind of already had this infrastructure set up to be able to go online and all the assignments were already online. Kids were already never printing things out. They were completing all their math homework by editing PDFs on an iPad. And so it was weird to be able to see how these school districts could just so immediately transition to something virtual, to something digital, um, when a lot of the nearby districts, just a couple schools over, were unable to do so, not necessarily because they didn't want to, but just because the logistics of doing that would have been so enormous. Um, Now, eventually at a certain point, there kind of started being this attitude of, we don't have to do this anymore. Um, And that's been especially true starting to this year of feeling like they had already done such a good job with the previous year that this year, Uh, It can be a little bit more relaxed. It can be a little bit more relaxed. Um, And obviously that's not the case. And unfortunately, the truth of it is it's often not the case because of other people's fault. Um, We have this 25% of students in other schools that are just opting out, as you mentioned. Um, And as long as that continues to be the case, the school districts that have done a good job because they were able to do a good job um, are going to have to keep taking measures that they don't necessarily need, that they don't really want to do, um, but are kind of necessary. Um, thankfully, in my own, um, the center where I work at, um, we've been doing in-person things since last July. Um, and we have yet to have a single documented case of 
uh, COVID transfer, even though we know we have had multiple COVID positive students within the building, um, we cannot have not been able to trace any uh, contact there. And that's because we have been doing a pretty darn good job of enforcing things and students have been understanding enough to understand why we do that. Um, and again, there's just something about this particular environment where that mentality was already there. Um, and students were kind of just generally very well prepared to see a mask mandate and say, oh, I understand that someone higher up than me is making a decision that they might not necessarily want to do either, but it's something that is probably for the best. Um, but again, at this point, um, people are kind of sick of that. Um, I think what have, has gotten caught a lot of parents' attention, particularly, is students' academic performance declining. And so you're starting to get parents who are paranoid that these regulations are negatively impacting their children's futures. And that means that they're, that's kind of the, that's kind of the factor that will make them reconsider how necessary some things are. Um, so rather than hesitancy towards the evidence or skepticism of government intervention, it's about, hey, my kids are not getting the experience they should. My kids aren't going to be well enough prepared for college. Um, so maybe, maybe they can do this thing with all their friends or maybe they don't actually need to do these virtual things instead. They should be there in person because that's going to benefit them more. And it's been interesting to see how that's only recently popped up and it's popped up at the worst possible time. Um, so in general, the state has been pretty, pretty strict on mandating district-wide regulations. Um, they've, I don't know what the correct word would be, suspended, censored, disciplined dozens of districts and rural areas for not uh, following guidelines and refusing to enforce any kind of mandate. Um, so it's good to see some kind of state level action there. Um, but yeah, it's been yet again an interesting kind of socioeconomic, sociocultural scenario with particular affluent suburbs that I'm working in. One thing that you were talking about that I set off some thoughts is just looking at last year compared to this year and how last year it was sort of this big celebratory moment for the field of, of teaching that we were all able to, with varying degrees of success, switch on a dime and be able to go full virtual. And now there is all this you know, anticipation of starting the school year out normally. And uh, one of the things that's happened for us anyways is that with all of this hope of getting to start normally, we haven't had quite the same structures in place for teaching virtually or posting virtually um, because we've still had to quarantine students. So like normal teaching is going on, but kids are still getting quarantined. We set up like a, we, we have like a, a, a virtual academy for our, our district now for, you know, all the kids that were like, oh, I want to opt in for virt like full virtual for the full school year. And, you know, there's a small handful of kids that have done that. But what we found is we had, we had several, several families who sent their kids back to normal school at the beginning of the year. And then, you know, thought, you know what, actually, I'm not comfortable sending my school, my, my, my kid back. So my kid's going to stay at home and we're going to do everything. We're going to do class virtual for a while because they missed the sign up date for like the virtual academy. So like, 
they didn't do that. And now we have a normal school year going on where that kid is still being kept at home to do their work by their parents. But we no longer as teachers have the habits or the structures in place to, to run a virtual classroom environment like we did last year. And that's causing a lot of, you know, you were talking about, you know, the concerned parents about kids falling behind. We've had, you know, kids falling behind in their work, falling behind in this and that, because they've either had to be quarantined for two weeks at a time, or just kept home for extended periods periods by their parents um, because of COVID-related stuff. And then they haven't had the contact with the materials, with the class, with the activities. You know, that's for a lot of kids, they end up going home for two weeks of darkness because we don't have the structures in place anymore because we were pretty adamant going into this is like, we are not going to ask our teachers to teach in person and virtually at the same time like they had to last year. Uh, we want our teachers to be fully in their in-person classrooms, um, which I think is, I think was a good goal. Absolutely. I love not having my attention split two ways while I'm trying to teach. It helps me teach everyone better to not have my attention split two ways. Um, but it does mean that the kids who have to get quarantined or the kids whose parents uh, don't want them exposed to the normal classroom environment, it does, it, it does mean that those kids are unfortunately, you know, for one reason or another, getting, getting underserved right now. And that's, you know, it's what it's going to create is a second year where kids need to get caught up after last year. So it's, it's a lot. Absolutely. And, and uh, I agree with what John said completely. Last year, we got good at virtual teaching. Um, it was a trial by fire, but you know, we, it's what we had to do. Um, and then this year, again, our governor said, no school district will be teaching virtually at any point. Um, and so when our school had such a bad, or when our district had such a bad outbreak that we had to use our stockpile days to not, and just to be out of school, we were not allowed to teach. And, and we were just canceled school for a week. Uh-huh. Exactly. That's ridiculous. Despite the fact, again, that all of us had learned last year how to teach virtually. We could have done it, and it wouldn't even have been that hard because last year, for a wide variety of reasons, our district was just a mess. But this year is organizationally much better. We could have handled it, and it's frustrating that we couldn't. Um, it's, it wasted our kids' time. It wasted everyone's time, really, and uh, I'm still trying to catch back up, so... Um, but, you know, we deal. It's teaching. It never goes the way you want it to. So um, moving on, um, we, um, the entire topic of our episode has kind of been COVID. And it makes sense, given that, you know, the times we live in. Uh, yeah. but we, wanted, we knew that, like, we, we don't want every episode to end up being about COVID. But we knew that we couldn't start a con like a continuing conversation about educating in today's times and teaching in modern times without addressing it because this is it's absolutely you know whether whether we want to acknowledge it or not this is absolutely the context in which we are teaching at this moment and it's it's 
you know, we wanted to start off with this, rip the Band-Aid off. Let's talk about COVID. We might talk about it again, but uh, I don't know if we can start without talking about it. So, you know, with that, uh, not to interrupt, but um, please continue. Oh, no, no, no. You're fine. And, and absolutely. Uh, this is the, these past two years have been and I think I am not being hyperbolic here. Probably the worst times in the last century to be a teacher or a student. Um, I think you have to go pretty far back to find a comparable time. Uh, World War II probably would have been pretty rough. Don't get me wrong. But even then, in terms of social disruption, I, I mean, the most comparable event would have been the Spanish flu in the early, late 1910s, but even that didn't have quite the, the, the national spread that COVID did, the disruption of every level of society. So, yeah. At least we're not uh, having to do like air raid drills and like, all right, everybody, like get under your desk just in case a nuclear bomb gets dropped. <laughs> So this is a complete tangent, um, but did um, have I, either of you and listeners out there, have y'all seen the duck and cover video from the Cold War where it's a turtle showing people how to duck and cover in the case of a nuclear explosion? Okay, it's a great video. Um, I was talking to um, uh, a professor of Russian history who was telling me about how... Um, no, no, it was a guest lecturer in this class I was taking on Russian history. And uh, this professor said he was going through some old archives and found the original copy of that video with a note on it that said, do not use this. It is outdated. Oh, and this gosh. was in this was in the 50s. And it was shown to my parents oh, my in the word. 70s. So there you go, Ooh. ladies and gents. I'll educators to, yeah educational materials have always been out of date ask um, your ask your parents everybody ask your parents today if they uh remember the turtle duck and cover video that is that is your homework your your b plus show homework today i guess we're also kind of showing our age though um most <clears throat> all three of us are post cold war kids yes so um there you go um we, but we are hip with the kids as we they are, say we are with the times and speaking of being hip with the with the kids and what's trending these days i'm going to do a double a nested segue here okay all right so speaking of what's trending let's see what the impact of the covid education era on trending topics has been hey everybody it sure is hard to um sure is hard to keep your kids hand sanitized when somebody's stealing all the hand sanitizers from your bathrooms. Oh, Lord. Um, yes, yeah. that's right. Let's talk about devious licks. That is this, that is this week in education, a, a, a topic, a modern contemporary topic in education that has superseded the COVID-19 pandemic, um, it, at least where I've been teaching. I don't know about you guys, but it has taken over. It has been so such a surreal experience. For those of you who, who don't know, and feel free, guys, to jump in if I don't get any of this right. Uh, the app TikTok, which allows users to create and post uh, short videos, um, allows you to do hashtags and stuff 
I, I don't know. I'm not actually hip with the kids. I'm just pretending. I'm a really old man, um, <laughs> at, at least in terms of temperament. But um, something that's come up in the past, has it been two weeks, I guess? Yep, it's been Sounds two right. weeks now. Yeah. Uh, a hashtag that has shown up recently has been devious licks, which apparently means um, just straight up stealing stuff. Um, yes. And it's been happening in schools. It, um, it started at the start of the month. Um, two weeks later, it got banned by the app. That if you try to search devious licks, it just pops up this message that says, the information you are looking for has been removed according to our community standards. Whatever. Wow. But it's still well, happening. TikTok yeah. removing things for like the sake of community standards, that is, you know it's They're gotten late on him, but you know. Yeah, my um, my girlfriend's school made the local night uh, nightly loot. Uh, oh boy, try saying that five times fast. Local nightly news because things had gotten so bad there, um, and so much damage had been done to the bathroom specifically. Which, like, that's uh, this is sort of back burner to the whole like, hey, um, I know it's a fun hashtag. Uh, that's really cool that you did that and got two hundred likes. It's still stealing um it's it's still very much a crime but um you know back burner to that has been like guys um we're in the middle of a pandemic stop stealing the soap stop stealing the hand sanitizer stop stealing the things that we are using to stop spreading the germs you know before you before you get your health deviously licked I hate that so much. Yeah. But it's completely fair. And it's not even stealing necessarily. Sometimes it's just petty vandalism. Yeah. Like with the soap dispensers, it's not they're taking the soap dispensers home. It's they're just knocking them off the walls. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're not anchored on there very well. It's not hard, but good Lord, kids. Come on. I had a kid run into my classroom. He's like, Miss, uh, uh, he's like, Hey, mister, the uh, soap dispenser is in the toilet. What should we do? (laughs) Goodness gracious, this is not what we need. No, it is not. Um, So I've got two stories about devious licks from my school. Um, One, I heard secondhand. Um, uh, A student (laughs) told me about this. Uh, They said that one of their friends was in the men's bathroom trying to steal one of the mirrors um, off of the 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 bathroom sink oh my word yeah and as he was doing it the principal walked in and just kind of stared at him and the kids stopped and stared back at the principal and the principal said uh what you what you doing there he said uh nothing (laughs) i should probably get back to class (laughs) nodded and said yeah probably um if only all of our uh devious licks could be prematurely ended like that the other one that we had to deal with was actually dangerous um so art school has three floors um that are uh connected by a central staircase um it's two concentric staircases and there's a big area in the middle Someone um try to devious lick the staircase yes uh please don't lick the staircase ladies and gents um Unless they just waxed it, then you're probably fine. But even then, I don't Ugh. know that I'd chance it. Yeah. Waxy. Um, yeah. As a general rule, 
don't lick anything in schools. Um, but anyway. Feeling with your hands or with your tongue, metaphorically yeah. or literally. Exactly. Um, so it is 2.47. It is three minutes from school getting out, okay? And uh, this is parent-teacher conference day. So it's going to be a long day because um, we had parent-teacher conferences for three hours after this. And uh, at 2.47, I'm teaching on the second floor about halfway down. I hear an enormous bang. And I'm like, well, interesting. Um, and, and I just keep going, you know. Um, and then I school ends. I walk out, I walk down to visit a couple of my friends before we're required to go uh, do teaching stuff, um, parent-teacher conference stuff. And I notice a couple of things. First off, everybody is standing around talking. Second off, all of the assistant principals look like they're going to murder somebody. And thirdly, uh, the janitorial staff is cleaning up an enormous mess on the bottom floor um, in the sort of central area. And it's at this point that I managed to go talk to the teachers who are, you know, grouped up talking as we do. And I get the story out of them. Apparently a kid for a devious lick grabbed a full trash can and chucked it from the oh. third floor into the middle of the empty, empty thing, falling oh three stories, landing in the middle of that area and basically exploding uh, because... You're not even you know, taking anything. That's just vandalism. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's not even a devious thing. No. <laughs> that for them. It's just like, an excuse to do damage to your school property. Yeah. If they had stolen a mirror, like, okay, that's wrong, but kudos. Good job. <laughs> Drive away with that. Display it in your home. The B-plus show does not endorse vandalism of or stealing not. of mirrors, but it would have been pretty funny. Corey's right. Um, At least but... it would have been consistent with the trend. You know, like mm -hmm. th this kid was just throwing stuff and causing damage, you know. Mm -hmm. It's not that and the kid stealing the mirror was doing the right thing. Of... Yeah. And I overheard one of the assistant principals talking to one of our um, student resource officers, one of the sheriffs in our school. They were talking about the incident, and I overheard her say something to the effect of, um, I, I forget the jargon, but she said, I want to treat this as a something, 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 because they could have hurt somebody. Um, and Attempted that is murder. Well, I mean, you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it would kill it you. It could but... have been a manslaughter charge if they weren't careful. Yeah, I, I mean, that's extremely dangerous. If the kid that stole the mirror, that was trying to steal the mirror off of the wall, successfully took the mirror off of the wall and then proceeded to throw that down the three-story staircase, that could have been manslaughter. Yeah, that, that could have been extremely dangerous too. So anyway, it's one of those things that is so incredibly ridiculous that it kind of beggars belief that it actually happened. But it did. So, um, uh, although it might make a good story for a bunch of guys on a podcast to talk about kids, if you're listening, please don't do this. Yeah, don't, this is terrible. Don't steal things. Don't steal things. Don't vandalize things. Uh, it's, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Um, 
Yeah. Corey, just in case you have to duck out, since I know that you have some time constraints at the moment, um, have you seen any anything? What does it look like on the collegiate slash private tutoring, you know, side of things? Has this even has this even reared its head in a setting where you're working one on one with students on like test prep? I mean, not in our own specific environment, but I, it's definitely rampant in the, these schools as well. Um, I have had at least one student who has been accused by other students of being the one responsible for a lot of devious licks, um, despite obviously not being the one. Um, so it's kind of a, a next level consequence that can be overlooked when you just look at the thing. It's like, oh yeah, it's also creating a social environment in which that's a concept of things that people would do that once like, it's not like vandalizing a school bathroom is a novel concept. Yeah, but when it suddenly stops being a rebellious act or something you do when you're bored, and it just becomes a social standard, a norm, and just like that's what kids do now, that's a different level, and it creates not only more vandalism, but also creates an environment where like kids are getting accused of that or denying it or claiming that they did it even though they didn't just because they want to be cool and then they end up getting in trouble yeah mm. because they hey, don't really think that through mr teacher but, he's got a hand sanitizer dispenser in his backpack oh no this is my hand sanitizer dispenser <laughs> yeah. this is mine this isn't the schools i just this is mine we're gonna have to start putting barcodes on those things we're gonna have um, to start we're gonna have to get a uh, a contemporary modern a social media app recontextualization retelling of uh, Arthur Miller's The Crucible um, <laughs> um, in, instead of um, getting accused of witchcraft it's like a, it's like they're getting accused of devious licks oh that's that's an amazingly terrible idea and I want to see it it sounds awful it sounds like one of those projects is like all right for today's project you are going to retell this scene from The Crucible but as if it were happening on TikTok. Ugh. I'm glad I'm not an English teacher. <laughs> yeah, I love that book. In all honesty, um, I, I guess it's a play, but yeah, um, it's a good play. It is a very good play. Um, I've not had the privilege to watch it live, but uh, I read the book back in high school. Big fan. Um, anyway, um, I think that covers most of the stuff we wanted to talk about today. Am I missing anything, gentlemen? No, that was it. COVID, devious licks the intersection between the two. Oh lord you know someday people are going to make their livings writing books about these things yeah and that's going to be very very strange but it is what it is um, i will admit to being one of those teachers who loves using the kids slang in a way that makes them cringe which oh, yeah. probably makes me no different from the teachers who are legitimately trying to do it honestly and then end up making the kids cringe anyways but i just i love standing up there on a week like this and being like you kids have devious licked my patience for the last time and i will be devious licking your your free time at the end of class because you have decided to devious lick our educational time and just watching them cringe it's it, it gives me life there's a paper somewhere about reclaiming adolescence <laughs> slang for use in the classroom um anyway 
Uh, I think that pretty much wraps our show up. Uh, again, my name is Jeremy. I'm John. I'm Corey. Uh, this has been the pilot episode for the B Plus show. Uh, if, if you like something you heard or want to get in touch with us, you can email us at thebplusshow at gmail.com. That's all spelled out, all lowercase, because it's a username and is not case sensitive. The B Plus Show. Uh, T-H-E-B-P-L-U-S-S-H-O-W at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback and uh, get in touch. Yes, indeed. And with that, ladies and gents, I hope you all have a wonderful day. Take care of yourselves. Stop devious licking. Yes, stop devious licking. Let me hit that outro real quick. Next time we will have this pulled up ahead of time. We ask for your patience with any... um, technical difficulties didn't we share yes we did share screen all right ladies and gentlemen have a nice day